Well, good morning, Trinity Church. How are we doing? Well, what a wonderful morning to come together and worship. So, praise God, we're able to do that. If you're joining us online, we're so glad you guys are tuning in. You are just as much a part of this church family. We truly, truly believe that. Well, I am not Todd Arnett, um, if you're visiting with us. He, um, his daughter, Aaliyah, has graduated yesterday from William Jessup University, so they're out up in Sacramento celebrating that. My name is Hilke Hilkema. Yes, that is my real name. And I am the family pastor, and it is my privilege to share from God's Word this morning. Before we, before we do that, I want to remind you, so after the services this morning, we have what we call like a mini ministry fair happening out on the plaza. As we've kind of reopened and regathered, uh, you know, ministries are, are growing, people are coming back, you know, praise God. That also means that we need teachers to lead our kids' ministry. Uh, we have over 100 kids coming back now, so we need people to teach their classes at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. So I want you to consider that. We, we had a, a, a greeting team of over 70 people you know, pre-pandemic. Now we have seven. So we need you. I think you saw the hospitality scores if you came to the survey results. There you go. You can do your part. Uh, we, we used to have 30-plus small group leaders in high school ministry. Now we're down to about a dozen. So the needs are real uh, as we in, continue to invest in this church family. So come... Check it out. Uh, there's about four tables out there. Ask questions and see where you can kind of dial in, plug in, and serve. And that'd be awesome. Let's pray uh, before we dive into God's word. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning, your living word, your powerful, your powerful word. Father, I pray that we would hear a message, a sermon that is better than the one that I have prepared. We would hear from your spirit this morning, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us to keep following Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to tell you a little bit about myself, about just a a challenging season in my life uh, that we kind of went through as a family about four and a half years ago, uh, almost five years ago now. But it actually started much earlier than that. So when I was born, I I came out um, fairly normal. I mean, as normal as this could come out, right? I mean, there's only so much we have to work with, but I was a pretty normal baby. Actually, if you'd believe it, I was pretty chubby, which is kind of funny. About six months into my journey uh, on on this planet, I stopped moving around, I stopped playing with my toys, and then it was discovered that I was blind. Uh, Very early on, I had developed cataracts that caused me to go completely blind. Very concerning, you know, parents and stuff, like, oh, Uh, had lots of surgeries throughout the years. Very early on, just when I was like six months old, I took out my lenses, and you know, took those puppies out. Did not put any new ones in. You know, it was it was um, the synthetic lens technology just wasn't there yet, um, and just kind of grew up not seeing very well. In fact, I was almost going to go to a school for the blind, and uh, but never did. But God has always been so faithful. 
so faithful that he's gradually just, just brought my eyes to see better and better. Um, when I was 16, I was able to, you know, <laughs> legally drive, safely drive. Um, but probably when I was 14, that would not be the case. Just so faithful walking alongside and, and doing, doing fairly well. Then about four and a half years ago, about five years ago, um, I decided to, to pursue getting lens implants. And it was actually my volunteer staff that, through just a kind of a random conversation with my wife, um, gifted that to us, that they were going to take care of our hospital, like, you know, copays and stuff like that. Really cool. I go in for my first surgery on my right eye. They do the surgery stuff, and... Uh, I'm quasi-awake, which is awesome when you see things going into your eye. Not, do not recommend it. Um, so they're doing their thing. You're like, hey, guys. <laughs> um, and they put a bandage on there. You go back the next day, take the bandage off. And it was really quite incredible. You know, take that. And then you're able, I was able to see you know, better than I ever had through that right eye. Really cool. Maybe a week or two later, go, go in for the left eye. Um, I said, hey, it was great to guys see you doing your job, but maybe, maybe I'll peace out for this one. So they did. That was nice. So I, I did not see things going into my eye. Um, much better way. Bandage it up. Go back the next day. They take the bandage off. And I can't see anything. I see Light, I can't see my hand in front of my face. I begin to worry, what is this? What's going on? It's not supposed to be like this. Why? Doctors are trying to figure it out, and the next couple of weeks they have me like sitting up, sleeping, so that was awesome. Um, didn't do much of anything, and you just begin to wonder, like, why? What is, what's... Was I not supposed to get this surgery? Of course not, that's silly. But we found ourselves in, in a pretty good storm that caused me to worry, for sure. This morning, we're going to look at a story that captures the, the 12 disciples. And they're in the middle of a storm. It's, it's, it's a physical storm. They're terrified, they're panicking. But it actually serves as a wonderful illustration, a picture of what it means to faithfully follow Jesus as we continue our journey through John, John chapter 6. Because we'll, we'll find that even as we faithfully follow Jesus, we still will encounter storms. And then in second, we'll find out that though like, it may seem that Jesus is absent in the midst of our trials... He's not. And ultimately, we see that Jesus meets us in our time of greatest need. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6, if you would, and we'll, we'll pick up the story, the narrative, at verse 16 in just a moment. But before we get there, uh, let's just kind of remind ourselves of where we're at. Jesus has just fed the 5,000 
which is really a multitude of 5,000 because 5,000 just represents the men. And certainly there were women and children present and they were all fed. This was an amazing miracle. The disciples were there. They, they were, you know, probably, no, they were handing out the baskets of food. They, I mean, they, they experienced this. They saw this with their own two eyes. This was a pretty incredible day. And now, well, it's getting late. It's time to wrap it up. Jesus, uh, according to Mark chapter 6 and Matthew 14, which also capture this story, Jesus compels his disciples to get into the boat and, and, and go back across the lake. Jesus was going to stay back in the hills there and spend some time in prayer, connecting with the Father, after a long day of ministry. So Jesus tells them to get into the boat, and the disciples comply. So then we read verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. But now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. If you're taking notes, in your notes, jot this down. Number one, we will encounter trials as we faithfully follow Jesus. We will encounter trials. We will find ourselves in a storm as we faithfully follow Jesus. Let me ask you this. Who told them to get into the boat? Jesus. Okay. What happened? A storm rages. Who's to blame? I blame Jesus, you chickens, come on, you can say that, I blame Jesus. Wouldn't you? Maybe, see, there we go, we're starting to get honest, this is good. No, Um, but haven't you found yourself at a place like that? God, I don't get it, like, why couldn't we just do two successful eye surgeries? That's kind of like the norm. You do the right one, and you see, you do the left one, and you see, and it's all good. Or maybe, God, like, you, we, we prayed about this job offer, and then we moved, but a month later, I'm laid off? God, well, what are you doing? Or maybe it's, you, you, you decided to take the promotion, or you decided to take that different job, and your boss, your new boss is a jerk. And it's making it really hard to go to work every day. Or maybe, maybe you have a son or daughter that has walked away from the Lord. And you say, God, we weren't perfect parents, but I think we were faithful. What's going on? Why, Jesus? Whatever your circumstance is, whatever your trial looks like, 
in our moments of honesty and vulnerability, we ask those questions, don't we? And, it's, and it's, I'm going to say it's entirely okay. The book of Psalms is filled with question askers, whether his name is David or another one. God, why? Why do the wicked prosper? God, why are people out to kill me? Is anyone getting out to kill you? I hope not. But the Psalms is filled with, with David and, and other psalmists just crying out to God in, in their pain, in their brokenness, in their fear. God, why? And sometimes there's not a tiny, like a neat little ending to the psalm. A lot of them, it's really cool, where David just kind of ends it with, but still I will trust you. And that's the place we want to be. Let's jump back into our text here. Because the second thing we want to see is this. It may appear as if Jesus is absent in our trials, but he's not. Look at verse 16 again. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Let's pause right there. So everyone is exhausted. It's late. Peter is probably super cranky. He needs a Snickers, you know? Um, now, and now they have to row a boat. Because they don't have the, you know, like, like, like a power boat, a speed boat. They're, 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 they're just kind of manpowering this boat a few miles to the other side. And then it says, but by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. This is, this is more than just, oh, it's, it's getting dark outside, we better get going. Um, John loves this contrast between light and dark. So when he is saying that it is dark, this is, this is ominous. If we're watching a movie, like the, the music is starting to get a lot more dramatic, and the tension is building, like it is dark and Jesus is, is he's not there. Jesus is absent. And then the music continues to, to intensify as we read uh, verse 18. It says, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And they're rowing about three or four miles. This is not good. These guys are in serious danger of losing their lives. These 12 will drown soon. This lake is gnarly. What's happening here, let me show you a picture of the lake. Uh, here's a little map. Actually, that's just me up there. But um, there it is. So here's the Sea of Galilee. It's in the north of Israel. Um, we're talking about 12 miles long and about six miles wide, approximately. Um, and so what's happening? So this lake is about 600 feet below sea level. So then what happens sometimes, it's this weather event where cooler air, I feel like a weatherman right now, by the way, but um, from the southeast rushes down onto the lake and displaces the warm air and basically causes chaos. Because as this air, this cold air is interacting with the warm air, just wind and waves, and it turns into craziness. That didn't just happen, you know, 2,000 years ago. This, this still happens today. 
When that, when that wind, when that air starts moving, you don't want to be on that lake. It, it's dangerous. So these guys are in a really, really tough spot. When I, when I thought of like what it would be like to be on that lake, um, I haven't done a lot of boating, but so I, I took my three kids to, uh, for a little um, kids' dad camp out at the Marriott, and, um, and so we went to La Jolla, and um, I actually do like camping, but camping at the Marriott is, is also fine. So we, we, we went to the, the La Jolla Sea Caves. Anyone been there? It's kind of cool. So you, you can kayak out there, and the swell was, was pretty large, and I, I called the place, like, like, is that going to be good? Because if I put my two older ones, they were probably 11 and 13 or something like that, uh, together, will they be able to paddle out? Will you even allow it? They're like, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I'm like, that's all I need. That, that sounds like a plan. So then I would take Jojo, my youngest one, and it's pretty intimidating. It really is. It wasn't a huge swell, but it was probably, you know, two to four uh, feet. But then you also have to, so that means that the face of the wave is double that, right? So you're, you're staring at, at these waves, and you're, you're paddling with your kayak, and, and that wave is just coming towards you. Thankfully, you have people in the back there kind of like push you through, but at some point, you're just on your own, and if the set is still coming in, you got to paddle super hard, and those waves just kind of just wash right over you and just smack you right in the face, and it's super intimidating. I'm just glad my, my, young, my, my oldest two made, it, made their way through, through the, the, the break because, you know, otherwise mom would probably not appreciate, you know, my kids getting beat up in, in, the, in the waves, but we made it, and it was hard work, but some of you might feel like, man, these waves are just coming at me, you know, I'm, I'm in my little kayak, like, what the heck, with a little paddle. But these monster waves are just crashing over me. It feels like too much. As you open another bill, it just feels like too much. You're just in your little kayak with your little paddles. You're like, what am I going to do? I know we're saying, you know, God, you're bigger than my fears. And you begin to wonder, God, are you? I'm struggling. That's kind of where the disciples find themselves. And by the way, where's Jesus? Has anyone seen Jesus? Like, we're like dying over here. And where's Jesus? What's he doing? He's praying. He's praying right now. But he, he, he seems pretty, pretty absent, and, but he's praying. What, what do you think he might be praying about? Or whom do you think he might be praying for? Well, to be honest, the text doesn't really say, and we can guess and whatnot, but that's just you know, conjecture in the end. But I can give you more confidence than that. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you in your trials? Listen to Hebrews 7. 7, I'll start at 23. Now, there have been many of those priests. Let me explain that. A priest in the Old Testament represented the people to God. These priests were humans, and as typical humans, they had a lifespan, and then they died. 
Not Jesus, though. So now there have been many of those priests, like the Old Testament kind, since death prevented them from continuing in office. Okay, makes sense. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, permanently representing mankind to God. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Praise God. This is truth right here, that he lives to intercede for you. He lives to intercede for me. After my, the, the, the kind of the surgery that didn't quite go as planned, after a couple months or so, I was working in my office with like my one eye. Well, I still had the other eye in too, but it just wasn't working. I was, I was working and I could see my uh, field of vision shrinking. I could see like this gray kind of covering that, just the whiteness. I'm like, what is going on? Called a, a doctor friend because there's like 7,000 doctors here at the church. I'm like, hey, what is this? Um, he's like, oh, that's not good. That sounds like a, a retinal detachment to me. So I went to um, the ER and uh, sure enough, had a retina detached. And typically, they you know, get you into surgery right away and they kind of fix it all up. And it's ultimately, it's, it's not a huge deal. Um, but mine actually had, had fully come off, which means that they don't actually have to do surgery right away because they can wait a couple days. So that's what we did. It was a full retinal detachment and um, meeting with the doctor. I asked, hey, is it, is it possible that this, I'll be able to see out of my left eye again? He said, I think it's possible. I said, is, is, it, is it probable? He said, probably not. And I will say, at that moment when I heard those words, I lost hope a little bit. I began to worry a little bit in those days of waiting God, where are you? But I also know that in those times of pain, of uncertainty, Jesus was interceding for me. He hadn't forgotten about me. He was like, oh, crap, you got the retinal detachment? Fully aware, fully in control, always praying. It's an amazing truth that Jesus is interceding for us, that he is present in your pain. He's present in your frustration, in your brokenness, in your anxieties, in your fear. He is present. He is interceding for you. The text continues, and, and as we kind of have this music, the, the, the movie score, there, there's, a, there's a note of hope. It's still pretty tense, but there's this note of hope when we look at verse 19. So when they had rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, 
Don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. In your notes, Jesus meets us in our time of greatest need. Jesus meets us in our time of greatest need. They were panicking. They were afraid. They thought they were going to drown. But then they see Jesus walking on the water right towards them. And they, and they freak out. They get scared, like, what in the world? Now, Mark and Matthew kind of explain why they were scared and whatnot. John doesn't. John doesn't care why they were scared. The only thing that John cares about and what we're going to care about this morning is that, that, that Jesus alleviates their fears by his self-identification. John's not worried about why they were afraid. No, what he wants to focus on this morning for us, that Jesus is the one that will calm their fears as he identifies himself. He says, I am here. It is I. Do not be afraid. This morning, if you're in, in, in the thick of it, Jesus says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, when the, when the disciples saw Jesus and he says, it is I, it is likely that they heard, it is I. We're like, okay. Um, but here's, here's what's going on behind the scenes, I believe. Um, it is I, in, in, in the original language of, of, of Greek, it says, it's ego eimi, two simple little words, ego eimi. That also translates to, I am. I am is here. If you're not familiar with I am, you're like, this is great. Uh, what am I do with this? That is God's self-identification. When Moses at the burning bush and God revealed himself, what is, my, what is your name? I am. The great I am. And in, in the Gospel of John, we're going to see a bunch of I am statements. Next week, I am the bread of life. And this is going to be a huge theme that, that Jesus is God. And this is a little foreshadowing of this. It, it's a little foretaste to the disciples. I am is here. Don't be afraid. The great I am calms the storm. And immediately, did you see that? There's, there's just so many miracles taking place here. Immediately they arrive at their destination. This is a crazy day. Fed the 5,000. That's pretty miraculous, I'd say. Walking on the water, pretty miraculous. Calming the storms. And then immediately they arrive at the destination. This is a day. Wow. Immediately they arrive, and, and God brings closure. He brings their trial to an end. And man, as we're, if we're praying, God, would, would, you, would you bring me safe to shore in this? I'm exhausted. The great I am is the one who, who compelled, directed his disciples to get into that boat. It's also the great I am who, who, who's praying for them, interceding 
for us. And it's the great I am who brought them safe to shore. The great I am will meet you in your time of greatest need. I've heard it said, God, he's, he's um, rarely early, never late, but always on time. I'd prefer if he was early. I mean, let's just be frank. But, um, but he's faithful. He is faithful. When will this end? I don't know. How much longer? I don't know. That's not for me to know. But the great I am says, don't be afraid. I got this. They took me into surgery. Supposed to be about a little over an hour to do this kind of surgery, to reattach the, the retina. My wife is waiting at the hospital. Um, about four hours pass um, with no updates, so that was great. Uh, so over four hours pass, and then the doctor comes into the like waiting area. He looks like he's been mugged. Um, I mean, he's just, he's just beat. And he's like, can, can, we, can we talk? in this conference room over here. Joey's like, did they kill him? Like, what, what's going on here? Um, get to the little conference room, and he just like plops down. The guy's just seriously beat. He's like, oh, that was the hardest surgery I've ever done. He's like, but is he, is he alive? Yes, he's alive. Okay, that's good. Um, he, he describes this just, just incredible ordeal. He's like, it was basically I had to get gum. It was like taking gum off of wet tissue paper without ripping the tissue paper so that he could see. God is faithful that he was with me in those times. He was with the doctor's hands in those times. So that after he did the surgery and, you know, bandages. Oh, this was a good time, too. Uh, if you're familiar with retinal surgeries, you got to, like, face down for, you know, three to four days up to a week. So I had this massage table literally just, just laying there all day with 10-minute um, breaks on the hour to, how to eat or to go to the bathroom. You have to make your decisions wisely. Um, <laughs> But, but God was faithful in those times. He was there. He was present. You know how he was present? Through the prayers of his people. But also for those that just sat. They, they came and visited and just sat for a couple hours while I, like, hi there. Um, it was painful. But God was there. He was present. A few months after that surgery, there was a lot of like pressure that started to grow in that in that eye, and, and typically they call that glaucoma. You know, it's, it's for a lot of older folk. Um, but um, you know, as old as I look these days, I wasn't quite at glaucoma stage, and um, this was very concerning because it could damage your optic nerve, and that's 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 you know that's permanent damage, and it probably did some. But it was super super high pressure, and one of the challenges was that I was already so beat up. 
So what they needed to do is drain that pressure somehow. So they had to put a hole um, on the top of my eye. This is a really good conversation, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh. um, that's how much I'll, I'll share. It, it, that's basically what it was. But, and then they had to put some other hardware in there to like, support the eye, and, and you know, everything was, was good. But man, was that a long season. Like, when is this going to end? Do you ever feel like that? When is this going to end? God, how much longer, Lord? Really, like, we just did the retinal thing. We really have to do the, glau- the glaucoma thing too? And God says, yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. And I'll be with you. Our trials can really, man, wear on us. And God says, my power is made, made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And it truly was. He's faithful. He is good. I love verse 21. It's a good verse. Then they were willing. So after they saw Jesus, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. I love that. They were willing to take him into the boat. Which is really captured in our now what? But it's really all about this. Man, keep following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Faithfully. And it is true. He will not keep you from the trials and storms. But he will be there to see you through. Amen? He will intercede for you. In your lowest lows, your darkest moment, He is interceding for you. He is present in your pain, in your confusion, in your anxieties, even today. So how do we respond? Well, we we invite Him into the boat. If your boat is incredibly unsteady right now, through whatever is going on in your life, Invite him into the boat. Jesus, I believe that you are here with me. I trust you. I trust you. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you too have an invitation to invite him into your boat. your life, to recognize Jesus. I can't do it on my own. I can't make it. I can't do this. I need you, Jesus, and you do. Your biggest problem is is not the obstacle that you're looking at. Your biggest problem is actually internal. It's a sin problem that has separated each of us from God. And Jesus is the remedy. He is the Savior and the way you can invite Jesus into your boat if you're not a follower of Jesus is we, 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 we outline that using ABCs. A, to admit. First, you have to admit. Admit that you can't do it, that you have a problem, a sin problem that you can't rectify. You can't, you can't make yourself right before God. It's impossible. And if you try, that's just called religion and it doesn't work. B is believe, believing that Jesus is that Savior who died in your place as your substitute, making you right with God, 
but didn't just die, but rose again after three days, proving that he truly conquered sin and death on your behalf. C is to choose, choose to follow, choose to invite him into your boat. And I already told you, following Jesus doesn't mean there's no trials and storms. In fact, they will come. There will be many trials, according to James. But they will actually make you more and more like Jesus. They will deepen your trust and faith. So you can even that this morning. Invite him into your boat. We're going to give you, uh, the band's going to come up in just, uh, just a little bit here. Well, they're going to come up right now. But um, in just a moment, we're going to just give you some space. Just a minute or so. To process where you're, at, where you're at in following Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, think about inviting Jesus into your life to give you direction, purpose, but most of all, eternal life. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're in the thick of it, before we go on with our day, let's, let's slow down just a second. Let's think about what we just heard from God's word. How does that apply to your situation? You might have an email sitting in your inbox and you're scared to open it because you know what it's going to say. Or maybe maybe you're in in a struggling marriage, a struggling relationship, and God, he wants to take this next few moments to reassure you that I am with you. Let's give him some space to do that. Use these next few moments to say, God, I don't know what you're doing. Why, God? Why? I am weak. I am tired. Use this time just to to pray, you and God, as a response to God's word. And then we'll pray together. Take a few moments right now, if you would. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, as we continue to, to kind of bow our heads before him, if you find yourself in a really tough place this morning, I want to pray for you. If you find yourself just struggling, I want to pray for you. And as our heads are bowed, would you just do one simple thing? Would you just raise your hand if you'd like me to pray for you? Obviously, it's not going to be by name, but I'd love to see who am I praying for this morning? 
I want to bring your needs before the Father, knowing that He cares for you. He is good. He is faithful. He will provide. He will heal. He will restore. He will encourage. He will throw out fear and replace it with confidence. Would you just raise your hand if you'd like to be prayed for this morning? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father God, we come before you just asking you by, by your sweet, sweet mercy to meet us this morning in our time of need. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling. Father, they're, they're, they're struggling with pain, with brokenness, with fears and anxieties. But Lord, we know that you are faithful, that you are here. The I am is here and says, do not be afraid. Father, I pray for provision for those who are seeking provision. Would you meet their needs? Father, I pray for restoration for those who are struggling with relational brokenness. I pray for trust, for confidence, for those who are struggling with fear and anxiety. Father, we know that you are faithful, you are good, you are loving, and you care about your children. So we cry out to you. We cry out to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.